Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, and on YouTube. I'm here quickly to talk about some NBA takes that I got to get off my chest in this early portion of the season. If you're listening on the podcast app, stay tuned for some baseball talk as we put a pin in the Yankee season, finally, with some aggravation as well as some thoughts on what the heck the Yankees are going to do to salvage this going into 2023, because it doesn't feel good right now. No, it doesn't. And also, we touch on some MLB at-large stuff as well in regards to the playoff setup and all that fun stuff. But right now, it's time for me to give you guys some of my NBA takes after about just a week of basketball. But I have five takes for you guys that I find very interesting that I'm ready right now to put my stake in the ground on. And I want to start off with none other than the New York Knicks. And I want to talk about Jalen Brunson because this guy has solidified the point guard position, an absolute black hole for this New York Knicks team for so long now. And I think we actually found a point guard who is going to not just do his job, but do it very well. There is a caveat there, however. I think there's going to be some question marks by some Knicks fans and some people over the time, over the course of this season here, that they don't fully understand what Jalen Brunson does for this club. But if you've been watching him, and if you've been seeing what he's done from a statistical standpoint, from a control standpoint, from uh, knowing what to do with the ball, when to be aggressive, when to share the sugar, spread the wealth, you should be absolutely thrilled with what we've seen out of the $100 million man, Jalen Brunson. I think there's something with counting stats that's going to drive some people confused or frustrated and I don't think that tells the whole story because if you watch this guy over the past two seasons since he's become uh, a higher level player, you know that he's not the type of guy who's going to come out here and all of a sudden start averaging 25, 26 points per game. It's not who he is, right? So right now, after three games, he's at 17.7 points per game, just over three and a half rebounds and seven assists. It's an absolute perfect stat line for Jalen Brunson. Yeah, if he really wanted, could he be a 20-point-per-game guy, a 21-point-per-game guy? Probably. But that's not exactly what his role is here because the Knicks' strength is in numbers in what they're going to do and accomplish this season, right? If Jalen Brunson's out there taking five extra shots, he's taking away from the likes of Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish, who's been a surprise, uh, as well as Mitch Robinson, Derrick Rose, et cetera. Right. So his job here as the point guard is to actually facilitate. And that was a question mark about Jalen Brunson coming in. His role in Dallas was not to be the facilitator. It was to be a scoring punch off the bench with Luka Doncic, obviously running the show so much as he does, as well as Spencer Dinwiddie being another ball handler off the bench for that team last year. And last year he was 16 points, four rebounds, just under five assists. That's not going to be his stat line this year and I'm solely looking at that assist count. I do believe he's going to be a type of guy who is a seven-assist type of player here. And it's so important to remember with this Knicks franchise that the point guard position has been a disaster for almost all of the past 20 seasons. You get a little Jason Kidd action in there when he was old but doing the right thing. You get a couple games of Chauncey Billups. You get some Raymond Felton 
love in there for a hot minute and some Jeremy Lin, right? Like, is that about it? Yeah, I think that might be about it. That ain't going to cut it. But what this guy has done so far in these three games, what I expect him to do all season is just play solid basketball to continue to know when to push the right buttons, when to get to his spots, hit the little turnaround jumpers from the inside, shoot threes with a higher volume and the same efficiency. That is an absolute win for Jalen Brunson and these Knicks. So I don't really want to hear Knicks fans or fans in general saying, oh, you paid this guy all this money to average 17 points. Yes, yes, yes. He may be the best point guard in the last 15, 20 years of this Knicks team, and that's all we need. 17, 4, and 7 will be an absolute thrill. And more so, the people who think that's not enough are telling on themselves because they're not going to be watching all the little things that he does from a physicality standpoint, getting into the lane, hitting tough shots, creating plays for others. It is truly something that Knicks fans are not used to, and it takes so much pressure off Julius Randle, off R.J. Barrett, and frankly, even off Emmanuel Quickly and Derrick Rose. Right, Because last year and the year before, when this team was playing pretty well, it was often because of what Derrick Rose was able to do off the bench, or when Quickly actually did get hot and make something happen, they looked like a real team. Without that, they looked like a bad team because the pressure was on Barrett. The pressure was on Randall to do everything all the time. That's not exactly who those two guys are, and that's not exactly who Jalen Brunson is. So this lefty trio is really looking like the type of solidifying trio to make this team respectable throughout the entire season. I couldn't be more happy about how Jalen Brunson has started off as a Nick, and I don't think you guys should sit there and expect 23 points per game because that's not who he is right now but it's a great sign that he's shooting a couple more threes per game. He's up to four per game right now, still at 40%. This guy's always been a good three-point shooter, just never shot a ton of them. And I think with this team around him, he's going to continue to get to four four, uh, three-pointers a game, and it's going to be huge for the spacing and for him to continue to do what he does. So super pro Brunson so far as the Knicks point guard, solidifying what has been an absolute black hole over this franchise for a very long time. On to number two, I'm going to talk about a rookie who is absolutely incredible. Paolo Bancaro is a dude. I'm here to say it. I'm here to stick my flag in the ground. This guy is going to be the rookie of the year and going to be a problem for people for years to come. We're talking about the comfort of Jalen Brunson, what he does for this Knicks team. I'm already seeing a lot of those signs similarly for Paolo Bancaro. He has already, as a rookie, walked into the NBA and been able to control the pace of the game. Now, has it been perfect for Paolo Bancaro to this point? And no, it has not. He's not shooting the ball very well. He's uh, not passing quite as much to the efficient standpoint as I think he can and will get to this year. But watching him move around the court with the size that he has and the fluidity and comfort that he has has been stellar. This guy can get to his spots, hit tough jump shots from the mid-range over just about anybody. He can attack the rim with speed and force, and he can make the right play constantly. And now it hasn't turned into wins yet for the Magic. It hasn't turned into super, super efficiency yet for Paolo Bancaro, as again, he's not shooting the ball from three very well, but he is shooting pretty well from inside the arc. This guy is serious. 
And I'm telling you, you're going to look around the league in a couple years and you're going to see a dude who's going to be averaging 25 points, seven and a half rebounds, and six plus assists. I think he can get to even a higher level than that in the assist category because he constantly is showing the proper feel for the NBA basketball game that is not normally found from rookies. This guy is huge as well. If you haven't seen him in person yet, and when I say in person, I don't mean physically at an Orlando Magic game. I mean, watching him in person in NBA for in an NBA game for a full game, please do yourself a favor and go check this kid out because he looks like he belongs so much quicker than 97% of rookies that we've seen over the last 20 years. And I think we could look up at the end of this season and see a guy who we expect to be an all NBA level player, maybe as short as three years time. I'm talking Luka Doncic level impact almost uh, for this guy, Paolo Bancaro. I don't know if he's going to be a walking playoff berth just yet, but I am expecting him to be established in this league as soon as the midway point of this year, be the rookie of the year, be a 24 point per game scorer. Who's not jacking up crazy shots on a disastrous team all year. The best thing about Paolo Bancaro is his feel. He'll get his shots when he has to, but he's constantly making the right play, constantly moving the ball in the right direction, getting to his favorite spots on the floor. It has been incredible to watch this point, and the 23 points, seven and a half rebounds, three assists is only going to go up, at least in the rebounds and assist column. He might end up around 23 per game for his rookie season. <laughs> That's pretty damn good. So I'm putting my... Flag in the ground on Palo Bancaro Island, getting up all the stock that I've had since before the draft when I said he was the number one pick in my eyes. And I think he looks off the charts. This Magic team hasn't won many games yet, but boy, are they fun to watch between Franz Wagner, uh, Cole Anthony, even Bull Bull has been making a lot of plays. And Wendell Carter Jr., another really solid player. I think some of the wins are going to start coming for the Magic, but it doesn't even matter yet because it's all about Paolo. And he is absolutely showing out with room to grow. What a beautiful thing to see the number one pick show up in the NBA and put on show after show after show. I can't wait to see where this kid goes. Number three on my five NBA takes in the first week of the regular season. I got to talk about the Brooklyn Nets because I want to tell people to pump the brakes a little bit on the Brooklyn Nets hate. Now, obviously, I understand why this team gets more hate than your average NBA franchise. The likes of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons, and now apparently Steve Nash, they are not a very likable bunch at this point in time. People have their problems with KD. I don't. Whatever it is, what it is. People have their problems with Kyrie Irving. It's obvious why that's a thing. People have their problem with Ben Simmons. Also obvious why that's a thing. But if this was any other player, other than Ben Simmons, he'd be getting a hardcore pass for the first three weeks of this season. Hardcore. This guy hasn't played basketball in well over a year. He comes out into his first action of the regular season and only puts up six points per game, still getting his seven or eight assists. He fouls out a bunch. He's not really looking for the shot yet. We get it. We get it. But 99% of players who miss basketball for a year they get two months of leash before they start getting crapped on by the media and other players and Twitter like crazy. This guy has been a successful basketball player for his entire career outside of the, a couple series in the playoffs here and there. 16 
nine and eight for his career. All NBA level player, all defense, all NBA, all defense team, whatever, every single year. Can we give him just a couple weeks to try to get into a rhythm and flow with two new teammates who demand the ball and don't exactly move it that well all the time? Can we give him some time? Because I hear a lot of people trying to take victory laps on the Brooklyn Nets already, trying to bury them like they have no chance to figure this thing out. Guess who else Who else is also just off a year-long injury? Joe Harris, one of the best shooters in the entire NBA. He's not playing up to snuff yet. He's not playing all the minutes he normally would. Seth Curry's still out. Do you know how much different this team looks when the shooting is right? Do you know how much different Ben Simmons looks when the shooting is right? Yeah, of course, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are two of the most talented shooters in the NBA, but they're not the type of players who are running off a crap ton of screens, catching and shooting constantly. KD shoots a little bit more off the catch than Kyrie, but Kyrie's not a catch-and-shoot type of guy. We know what he does when he starts cooking, and he's shooting the lights out so far this year. But I don't think it's fair to judge Ben Simmons and this Brooklyn Nets team after three or four games knowing that they are a brand-new team together despite having a couple pieces back from last season. Joe Harris needs time to figure it out. No one's crapping on him yet, right? Joe Harris is playing 20 minutes, 20 minutes a game in two games. He only has five points per game as well. Who's crapping on Joe Harris? Nobody, because everyone knows that he just missed basically an entire season, and it's going to take time to get into a rhythm. Now, it's easy to hate on Ben Simmons, but it's also easy to forget how successful he's been as an NBA player. Now, he has to get from six points up to about 15 points per game. That is without a doubt. But can we give this guy who just missed an entire season a month to get his bearing straight with a new team? I think that's more than fair for an all-NBA-level player. Yes, I admit, it looks pretty sketchy so far for the Nets at times. And when you get 71% true shooting percentage at a Kyrie and KD in a given game where they score over 70 points combined and you lose, yes, that's a problem. The defense very much can be a problem this year for this team. But when he gets right and gets going, he increases the defensive floor a ton. And when he gets right and gets going, he helps this team score easy buckets in transition. There's a lot to figure out for Steve Nash and this Nets team, but I think it would be wise for people to lay off the victory laps and they got to pump the brakes on hating on the Brooklyn Nets. After a couple games in a season, it's so easy to say, just like I told you, this team's trash. Ben Simmons sucks. He can't do this. He can't do that. What, what are you going to say in the end of November? When all of a sudden he's averaging 13, 8, and 8 on his way back up to that 17-point-per-game mark he's been at his whole career, and this team's rattling off wins on a much more consistent basis. You're going to come out here and say, oh, I was wrong? No, you're going to shut your mouth and not say anything because you're embarrassed. It's too early in the season for a team with too many moving parts and too many new faces and returning players from injuries to bury them and say they're trash. So watch where you're going with the Brooklyn Nets hate because this team is talented. They have some shortcomings on the defensive talent on their roster, but offensively, when they get going, they're going to be fun to watch, and they're going to be hard to stop. So I'm saying this. Let's give it a month, maybe a month and a half, and then reconvene, and we'll bury the nets at the proper time if need be. All right, now on to my next take of five. We're at number four. I got to say this, and it's kind of obvious. 
it kind of feels almost silly to say out loud, but I just have to say it. John Morant is him. Got the tattoo and everything. He is him. This guy and this team deserve all the credit and all the praise in the world. And if I had to pick a team in the Western Conference that I would lock in to be a top two seed in the West, it would easily be the Memphis Grizzlies. Because when I watch basketball, I don't know if there's another team in the entire NBA that I feel more comfortable saying they know exactly who they are and they are all constantly pulling in the right direction. Could probably make some arguments about Dylan Brooks pulling in the right direction all the time, but whatever. He's a pretty positive player. Between John Morant and Desmond Bain, they got two dudes who are absolute scorers, dudes. And John Morant is ready for an MVP season. I don't know if he's going to get there. I don't know if he's going to be the MVP. But when we have that conversation at the midway point, well, let's be honest, at the one-week point, the eight-week point, the 12-week point, the three yeah, we, we get it. The MVP conversation gets a little bit ridiculous in the world of basketball. But you better believe that John Morant will be in the midst and at the top of that conversation. And right now, Vegas is telling you the exact same thing. Yeah, he's off to a ridiculous shooting start. I get that. He's, he's shooting 60% from three right now. It's not going to last, but you can possibly feel better that he's just going to be a better three-point shooter in general. Maybe he will be a 40% three-point shooter this year. Watch the hell out. This guy has been killing folks for two years now without a great jump shot. If that jump shot's no joke, stop. You are done. All of you defenders are done. You're already so scared for him to run right by you and just dominate you with athleticism and the gift he has around the rim. If you're scared of the three ball, watch out. John Moran could average 30 points per game this year. And with the rest of this team around him, you're going to see a team win 58 games this year and be a top two seed again and be that much more ready for the playoffs in 2022-2023 season. John Morant is him. He is here. And his tenacity combined with all that talent and the increased jump shot is going to prove why he might just average 30 this year and why he might just steal an MVP for himself. As Vegas is telling you right now, we did the NBA preview just one week ago. Just one week ago, we recorded it. And I said for my long shot, and by long shot, I didn't mean like plus 4,000. I just meant not the top like three guys who are under uh, under plus 1,000. I said John Morant. He was plus 1,500. Today, after four games, already up to plus 750. Cut in half were his odds, or are his odds, I should say, for MVP. This guy is going to have a special special season and his team is ready to go along for that ride because they are all constantly pulling in the right direction, playing the game the absolute right way with some depth that is serious and triple J Jaron Jackson Jr. Not even back yet. The Grizzlies are no joke and they're going to be right at the top of the West yet again, as we talk about the Warriors and the Lakers disaster and the Phoenix Suns, if they could hold on and the Timberwolves and whatever the hell's going on with them. The Grizzlies are just going to keep winning, keep dominating, and demoralizing every single opponent they see. Except for the Dallas Mavericks. Apparently, the Mavs and Luka have their number. All right, last thing. Also, staking in the Western Conference at the top, New Orleans Pelicans will be a top four seed in the Western Conference this year. We're talking about depth in the West. 
we're talking about top end talent in the West, you don't have to look much further than the New Orleans Pelicans because right now, I am not sure that there's a deeper team in the entire NBA. I'm just going to rattle off some names for you guys real quick. CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Herbert Jones, Zion Williams, Jonas Valanciunas. Is there a deeper starting five in the NBA right now? Is there a better starting five that hits all the marks that you might need? You can probably argue they need a little bit more shooting in that in that starting five there, but with CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram get a shot off anywhere, and Herb Jones, who might come around a little bit more as a shooter. My God, right? And then you got Zion Williamson and Jonas Valanciunas absolutely banging bodies down low and crushing people inside. Scary stuff. And you go to their bench, you get Jose Alvarado, really frisky backup point guard. Devonta Graham, spark plug backup guard who can get some shots up. Trey Murphy, who's a rangy long wing who plays good defense and can shoot the ball well. Larry Nance, the three ball's been getting better every year for him, who can play multiple positions on defense. And you get Jackson Hayes, who can hardly get in the lineup right now, who's a legitimate backup center in this league. You get Dyson Daniels, a rookie that you should be really excited about right now. Got Kira Lewis, another guard with insane speed, who's not back from injury yet, but another guard off this bench. If somebody goes down, when he gets healthy, who can make plays? All right, but let's focus on the big three here. CJ McCollum, seven straight years of 20 points per game, and he ain't going anywhere. And all the facilitation that he didn't always get to flash super hard because Dame did have the ball a lot and he was more of just a scorer for that bunch. He's flashing it. The facilitation is no joke for CJ McCollum, and he's hitting that role with such tremendous stride. Right now, just averaging right under seven assists and moving the ball, playing that point guard role better than any of us could have ever imagined. And what's always been the problem with CJ McCollum? He can't really defend very well for a backcourt player. Well, it sure as hell helps when Herb Jones is on the team, Brandon Ingram, the rangy mother, is on the team, and also Zion Williamson and Jonas are battling people down low, rebounding the hell out of the ball, and doing a great job. Right. So now you move on to Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram has been a 20-point-per-game scorer for a couple of years now. He is a top-tier wing facilitator in this league, averaging four to five, maybe even six assists at some point of this season. This guy can put the ball on the deck as best as anybody with that height and get his shot off from any point on the floor. He'll be a 20-point-per-game scorer. And then you get to Zion Williamson, who's back for just a few games. I was just talking about how with Ben Simmons, you got to give this guy some time. He hasn't played basketball in a year. You got to give him at least a month to figure this thing out. Not with Zion. This dude's bullying people. He's blowing by people. He's still jumping through the roof. He's still got the double jump like nobody else does in the league. This dude's serious and reminded us very quickly what we missed out on last year with him not making it back. This is very Phoenix Suns-esque from two years ago. Cody O'Connor, shout out to him, said that on the pod last week on the preview. In that bubble season for the Suns, they really built some momentum. They really started to believe in themselves. They really started to feel like they were a team that can make some noise. And then what did they do? They got an all-star on their team who might just be a Hall Well, he is a Hall of Famer. Chris Paul added to the team. Now, I'm not saying Zion is Chris Paul. I'm not saying Zion's a guaranteed Hall of Famer. He has to do a lot of things on the basketball court to get to that status. But he sure as hell plays like one. And when you get a team like that who made it to the playoffs last year through the playing tournament and showed up 
and left a mark on the opponent that they played, which happened to be the Phoenix Suns. And then you add Zion, who's back, who is shooting the ball well inside, getting in there, bullying people as he does. Man, we're talking about three people averaging 23, 22, and 22 points right now. I'd like to see the team who looks forward to facing them because you need to have three defenders on your team who can absolutely ball. And guess what? If you somehow slow down Zion or he's out for rest on a back-to-back, good luck stopping Jonas in the paint, bro. Valanchunas can get his as well. You add him to that depth. This is one of the deepest teams in the NBA. I fully expect them to just trickle up the standings all year long. And at the end, just like I said with Memphis, We'll be spending a lot of time talking about Golden State, spend a lot of time talking about the crappy Lakers in the playing tournament, spend a lot of time talking about Dame Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers, who have been pretty frisky so far. And honestly, the Pelicans are getting their shine too, and they deserve it because this team plays really hard. They play really well together. And when you got three guys who can give you 23 points per night, man, that is not a fun team to play. New Orleans Pelicans will be a top four seed in the Western Conference. That's all we got. Five NBA takes for you guys right there. Hopefully you enjoyed. Those are just some preseason things that I need to get off my chest. I had to put my flag in the ground on a couple things with Brunson solidifying the point guard role for the New York Knicks, Paolo Bancaro winning rookie of the year and becoming one of those dudes in the NBA, hitting the break on the Brooklyn Nets and just, just holding off the hate for a little bit longer. Let's see it for a month. Let's give this guy who missed a year of basketball, some time to find a rhythm. And then Grizzlies, Pelicans, absolutely no joke. They are not some flash in the pan, beginning of the season, hot start, good story. They are very, very good basketball teams and will be atop the Western Conference as the season goes on. So that's all we got on the basketball front. If you're listening on the podcast, stay tuned for some baseball talk right here on the other side. And then if you're on YouTube, check out Subway Sports Talk or click uh, over in the video somewhere over here. I don't know for where the baseball talk video will be as well. So thanks for listening. As always, I'm Pete Kennedy. Subway Sports Talk. We'll be right back. So we just had some basketball talk. And before we get over to some baseball talk with the Yankees and the MLB playoffs, we got one more basketball thing to talk about because NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. That's for the new customers, but don't worry because everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and play stepped-up same-game parlays today. With bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I always go to bet on the NBA. And right now, I'm looking at the Hawks-Piston game here. Right now, it's a a 6.5-point spread, but if we're going to do a stepped-up same-game parlay, you take the money line, so it's minus 265. You go with Trey Young assist, 10-plus assist. Clint Capella, 10-plus rebounds. Right there, that'll get you to a good spot. Then you step it up with the stepped-up same-game parlay. You're feeling really good, and if you're feeling frisky, why not throw in some more legs? You can do whatever you want. I'm not telling you what to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. 
Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App Spotify, and on YouTube. Joining me today to do what we have to do. Not what we want to do, but to do what we have to do is Andrew Kalanya, the designated hitter on today's show, ready to put a pin officially official into the Yankee season. And Andrew, I want to say hello. I want to say, I don't know how you handled this with all that's going on in your life with moving and having a kid and one on the way. Congratulations. Wow. Um, This must have been something you looked forward to when you finally got off your feet for two seconds and a move to watch the Yankees, and all you saw was disappointment, my friend. So, hello, how are you, and how are you feeling now two days removed from the end of the Yankee season? Man, it's, uh, it's, been, it's, been, a, it's been a whirlwind of a week for, for myself personally. Um, I, I, I do own a pair of Yankee Stadium seats, and when I envisioned, uh, when I purchased this home and this move, that uh, I would be sitting there watching Yankees World Series in those seats, and that is for for not, my friend. Um, what you know, I was joking in the in the group chat because I I have no respect for the AL Central, so I knew the Yankees were going to come back and and beat the Guardians. Um, by the way, the only teams they've beaten in the playoffs the last since 2012 have been from the American League Central. Every other team, uh, every other division uh, is that opponent, true? That is true. They've only beaten the Twins and now Indian slash Guardians, and the, is that it? Uh, yeah. Where, wherever they played the 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 AL Central, those are the only teams they've beaten since 2012. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, and it's incredible. Um, and again, when I when I knew they were, I knew they were going to be able to pass the Guardians. But then, you know, I was very excited about the the start of the series because I was like, this is gut check time. This is where, you know, you're going to see whether or not, like, the, this team can actually do it. It's the, the, the team of the first half was going to show up where they were going to show out and um, prove that they, they were legit and they weren't just a mirage. And unfortunately, we got proven wrong. Um, and it's... It's a t- it's a tough pill to swallow because you could kind of see it coming. You could see you could have seen it all year with IKF, and I don't know what the hell they were doing with him in in the shortstop position. One one night he was you know benched and he wasn't couldn't make a throw to first base, and then the next night in a winner take all game he's the you know he's the starting shortstop again, which is which is crazy to me that like you that them punting basically punting this position for prospects um that they just didn't want to play uh there you had peraza on the roster and you're just not gonna play him i guess mm-hmm. you know it's crazy you have one team yeah. in the astros who develop talent and they play their talent you know they had their replacement for carl they they put in the rookie shortstop and look what he did he won the alcs mvp so it's yeah. it's very stark contrast and the gap between the Yankees and the Astros are as wide as it's ever been. So yeah. I, I can't I can't say I can't say any more about this about this series or else I'm I'm gonna throw up. Well, I'm gonna make you say more in a little yeah, bit. Well, I will I will jump in here for a minute. Anyone listening on the podcast app, 
after this, or maybe before this, I don't really know. I haven't decided. Mm-hmm. There will be some basketball talk on here solo. I have some takes I need to get off about the first week of the NBA season, Knicks and some other stuff. Um, and if you're on YouTube, if you're watching this baseball video, you know, check out the, the basketball one as well. There'll be separate videos on YouTube. Uh, but Andrew, I'm glad you went on that little soliloquy off the rip because it's important to establish kind of where you are. And, you know, we don't even want to spend that much time here talking about the Yankees because I don't think Yankee fans can really handle it. You know, I, I think at this point in time, the ebbs and flows of this season were as strenuous as one, like almost any season you guys have gone through because there was such a high and then such a low and then the hopes of a comeback just to be chopped off at the knees by the team that's been the thorn in your side for so long now. So it's been a really, really big time whirlwind of a season for the Yankees and the Yankees fans here. And there's a lot of things now to discuss moving forward, not even having to do with the Astro series or the regular season or whatever, but to make one analogy that, you know, you and I kind of mentioned quickly before we started recording you know, you, you think about the New York football giants right now and here six and one and you say, OK, they're doing what it takes to win. They deserve credit for those wins. Someone deserves credit for those wins. But do we actually think that they're a elite team or a team that is a true Super Bowl contender? I don't think anybody should be thinking that right now. I know you and I don't particularly think that even though you don't want to take away the accomplishments with the Yankees this year. This is where the analogy comes in. It wasn't that dissimilar, right? We talked Mm. about it early on this podcast that the pitching staff, especially the starters, the way they worked out in the first half of the season, having the same five guys go every single week, every single day, never missing a beat, no one getting hurt, was going to run out at some point. And now, guess what? The starting pitching actually stayed up way stronger than probably anybody thought it would. However, still was never going to be as good as it was in that first year, the first uh, half of the year. The offense, we always knew that this was a struggle because Aaron Judge was putting Band-Aids on big-time scars all by himself throughout a huge chunk of the season. We knew the lineup wasn't great. The bullpen, as soon as the injury started coming and Clay Holmes didn't look like the shutdown guy he did earlier in the season, we knew that was an issue. Yet, after they went through the big-time slump and they started winning games again, a lot of people started to think, oh, this team's back on the rise. This team's back on the rise. They have a chance. They have this. They have that. If Aaron Judge does this, if Giancarlo Sand does that, it was all pie in the sky heading into the playoffs. And in reality, some of the same exact issues that were present all year or for the past five years, for that matter, reared their ugly heads again. And it was an unbalanced lineup where you relied on two or three guys to do everything and hit home runs or else you didn't score. You heard Bob Costas say it. 92 times in the ALDS. Well, now officially there's 13 of 15 runs scored by home runs by the New York Yankees. Like every time they scored, it was a home run, which is how you win. It also could be how you lose, right? Especially when you face a pitching staff in the Astros. So all the things that were negatives that we pointed out on this podcast that fans were nervous about throughout the season and you thought they were taped up, you thought they were fixed. It turns out they weren't. It all starts up front with the front office and Aaron Boone and start second following the front office is the positional players and the lineup being an issue. And then always resting on the laurels of having a great bullpen, you get a couple injuries. They didn't do enough to establish that bullpen. It was the first time in a long time, first time, long time 
that the Yankees went into a season without the most elite bullpen they've had, like in this, in the league, which they've had for years now. So it's almost hindsight 2020, Andrew, but it feels like we saw a lot of this coming, even if we didn't want to admit it. And we wanted to kind of close our eyes and not fully admit this team has major problems because they won 99 games because they got off to an incredible start. And now sitting back here, it's really easy to say all these negatives, but Andrew, I ask you this, is it fair to do what I just did? Absolutely. You know, you, again, the offense is the biggest culprit. And I said it before the postseason started, the Yankees don't win a world series this year. It's because the offense didn't come through and they were so reliant on Aaron judge and Anthony Rizzo and uh, John Carlos Stanton and everybody else was, you know, Josh Allison had did has done nothing all year. IKF did nothing all year. Jose Trevino had a great first half. Was the the exact hitter who everyone thought he was going to be in the second half this year. So that's three just big gigantic craters of of holes in your lineup spot, and then you have you're throwing Oswald Peraz, uh, uh, Oswald Cabrera out in left field where he's never played before, and you know he did an admirable job and he came up with some clutch hits, but. Um, you can't tell him. I don't think any any Yankee fan knew who Oswaldo Cabrera was before the beginning of the year. Um, you know, Glaber Torres. They were there were tons of rumors about him getting traded away at the deadline. So you know, how much stock do you do you put in his position? Aaron Hicks was disappearing, and Harrison Bader came back, and you know he was a he was a nice spark plug at the top of the lineup, but that's not enough off not enough offense, and it was never going to be enough offense, especially against the Astros pitching. But where I will say, where I knew I knew the series was over before Game Four even started, because I and this point has been uh, belated around among talk talk radio uh, on Monday and today. Um, that Mike Michael K clip that's going around here about Aaron Boone before the start of game four had his, they have like a mental wellness coach that comes in and apparently he came up, uh, he thought with the genius idea of, Hey, let's um, let's get the, let's get some tape from the 2004 ALCS. Let's get, let's get, uh, let's FaceTime with David Ortiz and let's uh, let's use that to rouse the troops. Let's get the most, the lowest moment in Yankee history and on the field history. Um, and let's use that to try to motivate our guys. Like, what the fuck are you thinking? What, wh- whose idea was that? And why didn't someone say like, this is the worst idea I've, I've ever heard. Like, ah, uh, oh, man, just so like, crazy. This, 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 just my work, Andrew. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm with you, bro. I mean, Listen, you can make an argument in a certain situation to learn from those low experiences and you feel the pain and you rise from the ashes, right? That would be for the people who experienced it, not for people who have literally nothing to do with that series, right? Like half of the team was not even remembering baseball. Like they probably didn't even remember that live, right? Like some of the players who are, are 25 years old, on this yeah. team, they were like seven when that happened. You yeah. think they care? No, they don't. And you know what? I actually do have something, uh, an aside to say. I saw some Yankee fans on Twitter getting mad at, um, was it Cabrera and Peraza taking the picture with Altuve? You see yeah. that? Yeah. I-, I was a little bit salty that, that Yankee fans were mad about that. Mm. These guys are Venezuelan-born players who probably looked up to him as like 
the freaking Absolutely. Goat, goat baseball player of their country, they could take a freaking picture with my guy. All right. That's the least of our issues. That's the type of thing that, that bothers me about the Yankees here in this situation. And I think Yankee fans are even more angry than me. So I feel fine saying this, the thing about the roof, right? You, you get mad about the roof being open or closed or whoever the heck cares. You, you get mad about your teammates or they, not that the players actually cared about that, but fans are saying, Oh, you're taking pictures with the opponent. Like that's weak, right? Like, no, if you're worried about that, you're worried about the wrong things. Right, you're not focused on what's important. You're not. It's uh, it's such a it's such a like a the worst cop out you can like possibly like say like oh we lost because of roofers and how does how does Aaron Boone get on on a on a press conference afterwards like yeah the the roof being open really hurt us like are you fucking serious like what is going on here and, yeah. and I thought you know him being openly criticized by his players, um that would be like the the spark that would say hey he's lost the clubhouse here it's time to find a new voice and then sports illustrated comes out today and says yankees yankees confident in reese and in in keep retaining brian cashman and retaining aaron boone and i'm just i i just throw my hands up and i say it's just like it's such what, a what, oh, sorry, sorry. go ahead go ahead no just i i throw my hands up and i say what else how many times can this person fail with this core of players? How many times can he make the same mistakes over and over and over again and still like have the, the confidence from, from higher up saying, yeah, you're doing a, you're doing a stand-up job, Aaron Boone. Like, I, I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm again, I'm at a loss for words about like, about that report. Maybe it's, maybe it's all smoke and mirrors, but I mean, who knows, but uh, I'll let you, I'll let you get to your point here. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's interesting because here's the records for Aaron Boone, right? Hundred wins, hundred three wins, thirty three and twenty seven in the in the shortened season, not that great, whatever. Ninety two wins two years ago, and ninety nine wins this year. All pretty good seasons. All pretty good seasons. That would be great, Andrew, if this was still year two or three, right? If you were pointing to regular season records and you were saying, "Hey, listen." This guy won 100 games with a team that should have won 88. That's great. Then he won 103 with a team that should have won 100. Great. He needs one more year. He needs two more years to try to get this playoff thing right. Now that's over, bro. It's been five seasons. Everybody's been clamoring for this guy to go since year two, if not sooner, right? And I think a lot of Yankee fans were too soon to jump on that gun or jump the gun there, whatever the freaking phrase is, doesn't matter. They were too soon, right? And even though they were proven correct, you have to give a manager who has that type of success early a rope, a good leash, a healthy leash. Well, he got the healthy leash, and none of the things that were problems have changed. And I think part of it is it's it's different than most franchises across sports and across the country. A lot of times, a GM has to save his own job. So what they do is they fire the coach first and say, well, that's not even the coach I hired, right? I got that coach when I started the job. I'm going to fire him, bring in my own guy, and he buys himself three more years, right? Like that's a classic football move. Classic. Mm. It happens in all sports. And, and with the Yankees, those types of situations don't really exist because of the relationship that Cashman's built with the Steinbrenners and with this organization. He has enough clout to do whatever he wants, right? So he doesn't feel beholden to Aaron Boone. He doesn't feel beholden to even the fans for that matter. Like he doesn't care. He kind of operates in his own space and in his own time. And that is becoming a problem. 
it's something that I didn't think was a problem because I always said I was the Met fan who sat over here and said, in Cashman, I trust. If that guy was my GM, I'd be thrilled. You have winners on the field every year. What are you complaining about, right? But then you hit the same wall over and over and over again. Something has to give. And at one point, he needs to feel the pressure of the fan base and the Steinbrenners and the rest of baseball passing him by. Because right now, the Astros and the Dodgers, who obviously lost earlier than them, are the Yankees, right? The Yankees are not the Yankees right now. It's the Dodgers. It's the Astros. The Mets want to be the Yankees more than the Yankees want to be the Yankees. And that's a problem. At some point, he has to be held accountable by somebody. And right now, he's not held accountable by anybody. And that's the telltale sign is that Aaron Boone will be back as manager. Five years of hitting the same exact wall. If he doesn't see it, that's a problem. I've always said in Cashman I Trust, it's harder to say that now as the same exact thing has happened four years in a row. I'll give him the first year, but four years in a row, we're in the same exact spot talking about the same exact shortcomings. And and Aaron Boone doesn't learn from his mistakes. He still makes the same with the the basically the season on the line and Garrett Cole at 95 pitches, you go to your arguably your 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 fourth best reliever in that spot. Like the season's on the line. Where is the urgency from Aaron Boone? Where is the urgency from his managing style? There's no pulse of the game, and that's been his problem since day one. He has no no feel for the actual game that's happening in front of him. And and I don't know how many times the Yankee the Yankees are going to lose a playoff series and say, okay, you know, next time he'll he'll be able to figure it out because when when shit hits the fan, Aaron Boone doesn't know what to do. He does it it's and that's a fact. And I I was a defender of him and I said, you know, he won the hundred games. He he's a you know, he seemed to be great in the media, but the second his players started turning on him, the second, you know, he continues to just get outmanaged by like a paper bag. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I really just don't know. It's, it, it, it really does blow my mind though, because across all their sports, honestly, I'd say even most often in New York, perhaps, right? There's a carousel of coaching. And I, I understand not wanting to be one of those franchises. I understand wanting to have an establishment in your franchise. And that establishment, in theory, Cashman wants it to be Aaron Boone. But it ain't working. This is not Mike Tomlin, right? Like, Mike Tomlin doesn't have to win another Super Bowl for 10 years for him to stay as the head coach of the Steelers because he has had a winning record every year in football. He has won on the biggest stage. He has a ring, and he is putting that team – above and beyond expectations every year when they're not even supposed to be in the playoffs. Boone did that once or twice. Great. Now when you have not team- I don't even know when he's he's done it. Every the time the Yankees they were ahead of they were ahead of schedule, no? A little bit. Yeah, well, he inherited the he the inherited a team, the Girardi team in 2017. Right. That's the team that that was one game away from the World Series and he they haven't even oh, True, gotten, right. It was Girardi who was ahead a year ahead. It wasn't even Boone. was a rear head. It wasn't even Boone. He got keys to a Ferrari and he drove it into a wall. And he, you know, he couldn't get, he couldn't parallel park the Ferrari. He you was know what it is, though? It's not, the... even, it's not even driving into a wall. It's hitting the same exact pothole on your way home from work every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's there. And all you have to do is just go swerve a little bit one way, swerve a little bit that way, maybe just slow down a little bit, you know? And, and he hit the same pothole going 65 and a 55. 
every actually he's going 45 and 55 because he makes power uh, but like it's it, it just mind-boggling and i'm i've never been if you listen to this podcast you are well aware that i have not been the one on here saying fire boon fire boon fire cashman it's not my mo it's not how i typically operate i root for a bunch of teams that can't keep a coach that can't keep a gm and when i see a team that wins 100 games all the time is in the playoffs all the time i want that to stay alive if I'm if I'm that team, if I and maybe you'll say, oh, it's a loser mentality. You root for the Mets and the Knicks. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But guess what? Tom Thibodeau had a great year one. Year two, not so hot. Year three, off to an okay start. If he's if he's not back close to year one, Tom Thibodeau, he will have one year left on his on his opportunity. That's it. His leash will run out after four years. That's how it works across all sports. The five year window makes perfect sense. It is time for almost all of these players to hear a new voice. It is time for all Yankee fans to hear a new voice like three years ago, but it's especially time now. So I don't know what more else there is to say about Aaron Boone. It's the, just sad and, at this and, point. Yeah, exactly. And the thing was, you know, he was, you know, heralded as this great communicator, as this person who would be able to get the most out of his players. And I've said this a thousand times on this podcast, every single young player who was a part of that core who came up what well, regressed regressed to basically being uh, nothing the Gary Sanchez's the Clint, Clint Frazier's to um you know to guys taking the only person that that has even kept kept to their potential is Aaron Judge and he's a he's a generational talent everybody else has gone backwards so whatever communicating that Aaron Boone apparently is great at has not trend has the results have not transitioned to the field and that is what that's what matters. That the results matter. The process if you're if you're okay, let's say this happened year one, and you say he's a great communicator, the results weren't there, bad luck. Fine, whatever. Year two, yeah, year three, year four, we're on year five of these results not coming through. It's a, and it's like your process sucks then. It's not your pro it's your process is terrible. You can't you can't herald yourself as this great communicator and you have a great process uh, to get the talent uh, the most talent out of your players when you're constantly falling on your face you're constantly getting embarrassed by teams who are are just better than you and, and all facets of the game whether it's the front office whether it's scouting whether it's player development whether it's every every single aspect of 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 the game the Yankees are behind the ball on and I don't know what else there is to do. And I don't know how you can sit there and say, let's do this year six. Let's do this. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I, it's just like pulling teeth come. at this point, dude. That, how is any Yankee fan going to show up inspired for the start of next season? How, unless they make some splashy move, they bring back judge. They make another splashy move that even though there's not really a lot of big free agents out there right, uh, for this summer um, or this, not summer, but you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Off season. But, yeah. And unless they make a trade, unless they bring in some real top tier talent, unless Volpe's on the opening day roster, you know, batting second, looking like an absolute savage, where's the inspiration coming from for this team? It's time for a new voice. And I'm always one to say the grass is not always greener. Well, guess what? The grass is burnt, bro. The grass is yellow. There's patches. Your dog's been pissing all over the lawn. It's, it's done. The grass is greener. And if it's not, you're in the same spot you are today. Because right right now the Yankees are the Oakland Athletics. That's who they are. They are the Oakland A's. Analytics getting them to ninety five wins every year. Fantastic. Not that the A's that for that long, but they did it for a stretch of time. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Moneyball and all that. Crap. 
That's what you are. You're the Oakland A's. You are a nice regular season team every year. And that is it. It is time. It is time. So let's talk about something and else. It, 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 yeah. And it's, and it's just like, do you have, do you have confidence in Hal Steinbrenner being opening up his checkbook to get those big frees? Hell to even resign Aaron judge. That's going to be yeah, the biggest well, question. That's, that's our next conversation. So why don't yeah, you? Yeah. So do do you think they'll sign? Do you think, do you think uh, that Hal Steinbrenner is going to open up his checkbook and give Aaron judge $350 million for a 31 year old player? I don't think so. I have, I, and, oh, man, I do think so. I do. I do, because I I truly believe that Cashman has to be feeling at least like 10% more pressure than he was before. At least 10%. I'm not saying that he's scared for his job now, because I don't know if that's the GM you want running your team anyway. He's always operated with a sense of confidence that helped him win deals, but it's gone too far. The pendulum has swung too far in the other direction now, because now he's so afraid of losing a deal that he doesn't make deals. And he only makes these these middling deals. That yeah, for, op, for option option Bs and Cs instead of the clear option As that are in front of you, right? And that'll make your team instantly better. You think you're smart enough, and you're not. And he's he's just not. It's it's so apparent. How many times are you going to trade for an Oakland A's starter that's going to come here and then regress and not be able to handle? You know. Who's the other? You gonna train for Shawmanaya next, or who? I don't know what any other Oakland A's starters that are left. You gonna train for another one that you're gonna bring here, and they're gonna shit the bed like Frankie Montas and Sonny Gray. Like it's just not. I I don't get it. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Cashman was an early adapter of like the new age of baseball? In like the early 2000s, late 2000s, whatever, mid 2000s. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah, probably. I think so too. I think that's fair to say. He made some really big moves. He picked up some really good young players, some good pieces, some good deals, whatever. I think the league caught up to him and surpassed him, and he's doing the same thing that he wanted to do for the past 12 years, right? Ever since 09, it's been the same story, basically, right? It's been the same exact story of spinning the tires, waiting for a prospect that never comes and never becomes the guy. And I think the league caught up to him and doesn't want to deal with the Yankees that much because they know their history. They don't want to see them win. Everyone hates the Astros. No one likes the Yankees either, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like everybody's out here saying, yeah, let's make a deal with the Yankees. Those work out great, right? So it's not like that is something that is in his favor either. I think the league has passed him a little bit or at least caught up to him. And I do think he's going to have to feel just a little bit more pressure. And I think he has to be aware. He has to be aware that the Yankee fans will actually have riots like if they don't bring back judge, there will be an uproar if they don't bring back judge. What, ha- what ha- does this team even look like without him? Without they him, don't make the play- they don't, they don't make the playoffs without Aaron judge this year, without 62 home run, Aaron judge. They do not. Maybe they're the sixth seed. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm saying. And, and look, look, I'm here. I'm here to hear the argument that it may not be wise to give him a 10-year deal right now or a 12-year deal. I can hear that argument, and I can say you have great points. And I'll tell you right now, it don't matter. It don't matter. Because in reality, if you win a freaking championship by the time Aaron Judge is 35, it doesn't matter. You figure it out later. You figure it out. You're going to make more money. You're going to sell tickets. You're going to win, and it's going to be okay. Right. Like if it's same thing with Lindor, 
People were mad about the Lindor thing, and I get it. It could be a disaster in eight years. It could be terrible. I get it. He might not be very good at the end of that contract. But guess what? If they are constantly an NLCS contender and they make a World Series and, God forbid, they win one, I don't care. Nobody will care. No one's going to say, I can't believe you gave Aaron Judge that contract as long as you win, as long as you put a team out there that has a chance to actually compete with the best teams in your league. And right now they clearly do not have that. Yeah. And, and the thing is that like the window is only open, you know, Garrett Cole and Giancarlo Stanton and a bunch of other guys, they're only in their primes for, you know, I Garrett Cole's like 31 years old. He's going to, you're going to get maybe two to three more peak seasons from Garrett Cole before he falls off a cliff. And, you know, he's probably still be a good pitcher, but he won't be an ace anymore. Giancarlo Stanton, you already see it this year. He, his on base percentage this year, it was, I think it was like 290. Like he was still hitting with power, but again, he's, he's injury prone. How many how many elite seasons does Giancarlo Stanton have left? Anthony Rizzo, he's thirty three years old. He, you know, he signed for next year or did his player option for next year. Like how like how long do you have? So you you kind of have to sign him, and you worry about the you know the back end of the contract. You know, afterwards, you know, DJ LeMahieu's thirty five years old. And he's injury prone, so it's like and and Josh Donaldson. God, I hope so badly that he's not on this on this T-Dex year. So he he's locked in though, right for for a contract. He's got yeah, he's got one more year left on his deal. So I just hope you fuck just attach. I attach Volpe to him and to get him off this team. Just like just take him, take some, but take just take him out of here. Oh yeah, that Volpe, but you know what I'm saying. Like I know what you mean though. And, and again, I'm going to use other other sport analogies here like you look at that. all the teams that are succeeding in in all all sports baseball basketball football i don't know anything about hockey but let's do that hockey i'm sure that's the same concept like all the teams that are making super bowls that are making nba finals are taking risks and this team is so afraid to take a risk signing aaron judge is not a risk this guy has been the surest thing in the league for the past five years he's been one of the best players outside of his one uh, more injury prone season. He, he's been pretty healthy and pretty damn good, right? Like, yeah, he got banged up once or twice. Everyone does. Mike Trout gets banged up all the time. It is what it is. Think the Angels are regretting signing Mike Trout? No, it's the only thing they could freaking hang their hat on. That's a disgrace, right? Disgrace franchise. The Yankees, it's the, the least risky thing they can do is bring back Aaron Judge because if they don't and they don't get some studs to replace him, it will not matter. You can win 92 games next year with a ragtag team of misfits and Aaron Boone will be in the good graces again. And then they're going to hate him again when they lose in the playoffs. Yeah. It's, and it's just like, okay, so let's say, let's say you let him walk and then, then who do you, you, what do you sign? Trey Turner and Carlos Cray or somebody like that. And, and you go all in on, you know, up the middle, which I mean, wouldn't be the worst move in the world, but like, I don't know the guy. The guy is the closest thing that the Yankees have had to to Derek Jeter since since he retired. So, do you real like you know? It's I think I I think it's a little different than Robbie Cano. Robbie Cano was loved by the fan base, but he also wasn't beloved the way that Jeter and Judge are. So I don't know how you could theoretically let him walk away. But at the same time, if you're Brian Cashman. 
you can't let Aaron Judge hold off your uh, hold up your offseason at the same time. You can't be yeah. can't be waiting around until February when teams are signing other players. And I'm, that's that's my biggest fear is that they'll resign Aaron Judge and and that'll be it. You know, and they'll run out the same team and they'll dump Donaldson or something like. But they'll run out like this a very similar squad. And clearly, it's stacked. The offense is stagnant. There are players here that shouldn't be here. They're not starting caliber players on playoff teams. So that's my biggest fear is that they they hold off on signing Judge until January, February, and then all the all the other impactful players have passed them by. Very similar to the DJ Lemayhew offseason of like two years last year or two years ago where um you know they they held out until january and then all the all the backup players and all the other players were gone so you know it's 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 gonna be very interesting and i hope that that they at least if they judge says i want to play the field then you say fine we're gonna go we're gonna continue to move forward and plug in where and and, and right. make the team better because it, there's you no can't, time you wait. can't you can't wait you can't wait for him this team's not good enough for if he was the last piece then fine then you put your offseason hold your team's not good enough and that's that's the bottom line the team is not good enough for you to wait on Aaron Judge all offseason you need to address shortstop whether it, you say okay Volpe or Peraza or somebody one of the kids is going to be our starting shortstop you can't throw IKF back out there he's a stopgap of all stop gets. I hated the move when they made it last off season. I hated the Donaldson trade. Like you have to improve other areas of this team. And clearly, yeah, if you want to punt catcher and say Trevino is, you know, the, the best framer in the league in which he is, yeah, if you want to punt, if you, if you want to punt that position and say, we're going all defense there, but you need offense in a lot of other places and that, that you can't just, uh, depend on bounce backs from from certain guys because you're just not going to get it. They're just they they don't have it in them to do so. So um, yeah. if Aaron Judge wants to wait, then say sorry. You know we we have to improve the team elsewhere, and and, and, here, that, and that's a thing. tough pill to swallow. And here here's the thing too, and this goes really to baseball as a whole. The way baseball is set up in general with arbitration and these contracts that are rookie contracts that last forever. All the free agents are thirty. Trey, Trey Turner is like the youngest free agent out there. He's 29, right? Like you're going to give him a 10 year contract. And by the time he's 38, he ain't stealing 30 bags anymore. Right. So like, what's the, what's the point here? If you're going to not sign Aaron judge, you're just going to get a bunch of average players who are 30 to only sign to three year contracts to what? Just kick the, the tires down the road again. Right. Like who, who's a young free agent out there? They don't exist. So unless you make a big time trade for somebody, like Juan Soto in San Diego, they traded for him, and now they're going to hopefully lock him up, or they did lock him up, right? Yeah. They yeah, they did. So, so unless you trade for somebody who's young like that, there's nobody who's 26 who's a free agent. It doesn't exist. Only about five players a generation reach free agency at a young point of their of their lives because – most of these players make it up to the bigs when they're 24 and then naturally they get to free agency when they're 31. So what are you going to do? Look at these free agents right now. The the top free agents based off expected market value, DeGrom, Verlander, Judge, Turner, Rodon, uh, Carlos Rodon, um, Kerr. So what, what the hell is the point here? What are you going to do? You're going to sign someone else who's 30 for an eight year contract. And then what? 
I don't get it. I don't get it. Xander Bogart, he's 30. Yep. What are you doing? What are you doing? Right? So I don't know. I don't I don't even know what else to say, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Does it? A lot there, yeah. There's a there's a there's a very there's a there's I don't usually during the offseason, you can say, oh, there's a clear path ahead of, for this team. There's a clear path for them to get better. And I just don't at this time, maybe it's because the, the, you know, the season ended so soon ago. I just don't know what that path is to like say, oh, they need this or oh, they need that. And it's just like they need they need so much help. They need so, so many, so many things right um to make them like a actual true championship contender not and not just a team that can win 90 92 to 97 games so and this this the it's the murkiest and the cloudiest road i think i i in recent memory for the yankees for me so yeah i don't know i really don't know what else to, to say about their the offseason outlook here yeah and frankly the mets is not much different it's not no. both of these teams were older they were both older, two of the older teams in the all of Major League Baseball. So if that's the case and you're afraid of signing old players, then you might as well punt. You might as well punt and you might as well get rid of all the old guys. Trade Stanton, get, get rid of Cole, right? If you're not going to re-sign Judge, what are you doing, right? Mm-hmm. There's no Ewing theory happening here that when you don't bring back Judge, this team's all of a sudden going to be better and sneaky, make a run. Nope, not going to happen. You know, look, look at the Phillies right now. They're a team that took the, took on the Bryce Harper contract, went for it, full send, whether it was right or wrong, guess what? They're in a freaking World Series because they signed other players who are older Who because that's the only people available. Kyle Schwarber, yeah. uh, Castellanos. Like these they, guys went all in on, they went all in on offense, and look where and, it got them. They got guys, they, you know. Yeah, if, even Zach Wheeler, if, like they got Zach Wheeler. He's an older guy. He's not 25. These guys don't exist. They and they overpaid, and, and at the time, at the time when they signed Zach Wheeler too, everyone was like, "Oh my God, 100, 110 million for Zach Wheeler!" And look who Zach Wheeler turned out to be. Zach Wheeler is an ace. He's an yeah. absolute Very ace of that team. team. It's incredible, man. These players yeah. don't exist. The, the pie in the sky mentality with the Yankees front office, it doesn't exist in basketball. Players hit free agency when they're 26, 27 years old. In football, they hit free agency if they don't get franchise tagged when they're 27. It's different. It is not the same. Baseball, you have to get guys who are 30. It's the only way unless you make big-time trades. So if you don't get judge, punt, rebuild. Mm-hmm. You know, do what, look at the Astros. Look at what the, the, the team that you need to follow is right in front of you. George Springer, staple in that franchise. Carlos Correa, staple in that franchise. They said, okay, we're not resigning you. We have young guys to fill these roles. Let's do it. Rip the band-aid off, make it happen. And they've done yeah. it over they and have, over. They have, they have great player development. And I will say to, to bring up the Mets real quick is that I feel a whole lot better uh, as a Mets fan about the road you're going to go to because you have two top 15 prospects that you can just plug into the lineup come 2023. So you, there's, your, there's your youthful side. You have Francisco Alvarez and you have Beatty ready to go day one of 20 the 2023 season you have um who's who's the other guy that they brought up um vientes so so you have those guys right there you have those useful useful top 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 tier prospects and you know the yankees will put anthony volpe in triple a until august yeah and then they'll maybe that maybe (laughs) they'll maybe they'll call him up 
maybe then. Oh God, you know, it's it's incredible. It's and somehow incredible. They'll have, somehow they'll have ninety four wins and pretend everything's fine next year. You know what? That's yeah. the biggest, that's the biggest problem. This team, honestly, this team might need to bottom complacency. out. Complacency. It's complacency. It's complacency across out. across the board. It's the complacency from the manager. Complacency from ownership is complacency from the front office it's a complacency and it's killed this franchise and their hopes of actually winning a world series with this core if they yeah. have to they either have to bottom out or they have to really pivot to something else and i really don't see them pivoting because why would you if you can if you can put in minimal effort and turn out a 90 something win team every year that's just that's just boring, and you know is going to lose. And you'd say, and you're you're throw up your hands and say, maybe we'll get lucky this year. And that's and that's what they do. And then you're the and, twins. Yep. And then you're the. And, now I know, and, and I know I know what it's like to be a Twins fan when they face the Yankees. Just the utter hopelessness of your team of your team being able to win the game. <laughs> that's what it's like to for the Yankees to win the Astros. We're the Twins. We are the Twins to the uh, the Astros Yankees. That's and that's I'm, just I'm, a matter of fact. I know that was like a little cough allergy situation right there, but it almost sounded like you were going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I go, uh, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, I have I have one other thing to talk to you about real quick before we uh, sure. And it's not as negative as a note, I don't think. So this is baseball wide. I just have a question for you with this playoff format that ran out this year. Um, do you have any any suggestions or changes that you would like to see implemented to? the extra wild card team, one of the division winners in that wild card round, the three game set, five game set, seven game set. Is any of that to you need to be changed? Is it, is it time for seven game series in the DS and beyond? Like, cause I think there's been some dialogue about it with the uh, wild card situation and the DS being just a five game set this year. I'm just curious your thoughts. If you, uh, if you thought this was good, bad and different. I think I was, I think I was, um, I think originally when we talked about expanded playoffs, I was like, if MLB just wants more games, then do a three game wild card series and a seven game DS and CS. And that would be able to make it even tougher for those teams that, because again, the Phillies were able to get to the World Series, they're able to get past because they were able to ride Zach Wheeler. They're able to ride their key bullpen guys because of off days and, and they're able to ride Aaron Nola. So you, if you have like, five to six like great pitches you can carry those guys can carry you to October and it's really a matter of philosophy do you think the postseason is is the way to judge what the best team in baseball is because I don't know if the Phillies are the best team in baseball but they certainly they could certainly be the last team standing if you want to say the who the best team in baseball is over 162 game sample it's the Dodgers but unfortunately, that's just not how it works. So it's how much credence you put into your philosophy on on the uh, on the postseason. If the postseason is supposed to be hottest team wins, then I think you keep the format the way it is. But if you really want it to be who is the best team in baseball, I think you have to uh, make those adjustments and at least make those series a bit longer. But then at that point. You're going to be playing it in November if you're doing seven game series or five game series for the wild card and seven game series for um, for the DS and the CS and the World Series. So you're going to be playing well into November then. So I don't know if that's in the cards right. or not. But I would. But one thing I would like to see is I would like to do the reseeding after each round. 
Um, MLB didn't do that. So the Yankees, <coughs> um, excuse me, were, were playing the, um, the sixth and the third seed and the Astros were playing the two and the, uh, the three and the five seed, uh, if, uh, or it was three and six and then, uh, two, uh, four and five were playing each other. So right, right, right. you should, you should reseed after each round. So you're having, if you have that one seed, it's. Um, you have an easier path, I guess, to the World Series where you're not playing up against, um, you know, teams that are closer to you. So it should it should right. mean something if you're if you're the one or two seed. Um, aside from that, again, it's really about your philosophy on the postseason. If it's supposed to be a measure of if, of truly who the best team is, then you got they have to make the games longer. But yeah. If it if you if you're a traditionalist and a purist, then I think you got to keep it the way it is. It's really it's really up to it's really up to uh, pick your pick your choice. Well, if you're a traditionalist and purist, it's already flipped on to, on top of its head anyway. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. With the, with the extra teams, and, and what I think about it is it's a bit of a conundrum for baseball, right? Because with a 162 game season, an absolute grind, right? Every fan who's invested is invested for a huge, huge chunk of their year, spending. 162 nights and days with their team that is supposed to matter it should matter right and if you want that to matter which the mlb does they clearly are trying whatever they can do to make the regular season more entertaining on a national level because it's not there anymore right the aaron judge chase was the only thing that got remote national coverage outside of the occasional shohei otani segment on on a random talk show right mm. just doesn't exist it doesn't exist so that's the conundrum. Do you want to make the regular season matter more? Do you want to make um, the playoffs more likely to get the best teams in the biggest spots? Those are the two questions to me. I think if those are the things you care about, which are the things you should care about, then you might need to consider saying, okay, 162, we're going to have to give up some revenue here and hopefully make some more back in the playoffs. Knock it down to 150 or 152, just 10 games, nothing too crazy. And and 154 then, is what it used to be. So you can just not go, go 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 back eight games, just not eight I, games. I really think that makes a difference. And I know a lot of people who are baseball purists say, oh, well, the MLB playoffs are the best because it's unpredictable and you know every team has a chance, and that's a beautiful thing. I don't think that really works, frankly. I don't. I think what the NBA playoffs has in their favor is that when there are superstar teams, they make it to the biggest stages at a higher rate. You don't see the Dodgers of basketball lose in the first round. Doesn't really exist. It happens every once in a while, and it's exciting. And that ne- and that team loses in the next round, right? Eight seeds don't make the finals, and that's okay, in my opinion. That's okay, right? And maybe you should say that NBA needs to knock off two playoff teams. They're not going to do it, but you can make that argument. Sure. With baseball, you want if to build this as a national sport again. You want your Dodgers your Astros, your Padres, and not even act like the Padres are a big market. I'm just talking about mm. big players, teams yeah. with electricity on their roster. You want those players in the biggest moments. And year after year, you get at least one team that makes it when they probably shouldn't. I mean, not that they shouldn't because they won the games. I get it. But mm. they are not the best representation of the best teams in the sport. And maybe that's baseball, Susan. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I don't think that this, this, um, this like lovely fantasy, fantastic, fantastical idea about baseball playoffs. Every team has a chance actually 
correlates to bigger numbers, more excitement, better entertainment. It, I don't think it does. And, and I think the seven game series would help that cause because guess what? The Phillies would have just as much of a shot in the seven game series as they do in the five, as they just prove when they won the, uh, the NLCS. So if you can make the DS seven, I don't care about the wild card. That's fine for three for me, or make that one five. Now, if you knock off the eight to eight games, that should be the goal. Get the best teams, the best product on the field when it matters most. Cause guess what? Now this, this is what happens this year. Again, the Astros and the Phillies are in the world series. No one outside of Philadelphia really cares about the Phillies. Everyone hates the Astros. So you might get some hate watchers out there and, and, and you kind of lose a lot of luster with this, with this world series. And you've had world series in the past, with the same, same exact concept. You get the, the nationals in there and who cares? Get the Royals in there. Who cares? Right. And, and no offense to those teams. Those teams made it. They weren't exciting teams. So I'm not even hating on the, on the market. I'm just hating on the actual team. If, if I'm trying to think of like uh, in basketball, like, like a correlation here. So like the Raptors, they made it with Kawhi Leonard. If it wasn't for Kawhi Leonard, that would have been abysmal. It would have been mm-hmm. pathetic to watch that team in the finals. But because of one guy, the electricity was brought to the, to the, to the forefront. Different sport. I get it. Football is the only sport, truly the only sport that can have this March madness, Cinderella story mentality. And it actually means something because no one's going to care about the Phillies. No one cared about the Royals. No one cares about the guardians right now because they're not that exciting. It's not about the market. It's about the team and you want your best teams to have the best chance. So I'm for lowering the regular season, adding more to the postseason uh, in the DS and, and making it a little bit more, a little bit, I don't want to say. Just make, just, make, just make it matter more. Just make it, right. just make it, just make it a better, have the correlation between the regular season and the postseason be that the best. Te- it's not just a crapshoot. And then right. it's actually a representation of who the best teams are in baseball and give those better teams the best opportunity to be there when it's all standing there. Reward them for being right. able to, having the depth and having the ability to. And going seven of the teams is hard in too. 162. Yeah, yeah, going seven is hard, right? Like it, yeah. some people who are who are more baseball guys will say, Oh, you don't want the Warriors and Cavs four years in a row. Guess what? Yes, you do. Absolutely. Yeah, you, yes, you do. You may not like it as much in the moment, but you are locked in because by year three, LeBron and the Cavs versus the Warriors was must-watch television for sports fans because it was enormous. It was huge. It was history. How many postseasons in baseball were exciting and fun, but not historic? For me, most of them, most of them over the past 10 years. And you can argue, oh, this one was great. This one was exciting. The one that actually sticks out in my mind is the Cubs. Cubs, Guardian, or Indians at the time. That was historic. That was electric. That was two teams who were great all year with electric players in the biggest stage and played an awesome series. That should be the goal. It shouldn't be get to the playoffs. Anything could happen. The worst team that just got in with 84 wins has a chance, right? Like, and that yeah, was, yeah. And that, and, and that was, and that was my gripe between uh, on this, on this new playoff format is now teams are, teams are incentivized now to say, Hey, we're, we're, we're an 80 low eighties team. Hey, we just might make it. Hey, you know, this Which is our shot. Good. And it that's just, it, regular season. That's yeah, that's great for the regular season, but it's you 
you can't incentivize mediocrity, and that is what expanded playoffs does. It incentivizes mediocrity, incentivizes teams to not go for it, incentivizes the house Steinbrenners to say, "Hey, we don't need a, we don't need to resign Aaron Judge because even though a ninety win team will still get us into the playoffs." So right. what are you going to do? Yeah, um, and it's not like baseball doesn't have a tanking issue, right? There's not really a big time tanking issue in baseball. In basketball and football, there's a tanking issue, right? Where teams bottom out in the first half and they say. Screw it. We're going to be terrible this year and we're going to get a top draft pick. That doesn't really exist in baseball. It's not something that they're fighting, right? The, the mm. play in tournament for basketball actually incentivize those teams that would normally say, ah, screw it. We'll punt the final two months of the season and just be a disaster and get a top five odds for our pick. Now the play in tournament is telling the Sacramento Kings, yo, play your ass off all season. You have a chance to be in the playoffs. That's something your, your franchise hasn't done in a long time. Do they have any chance to win the finals? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's okay. But they're going in, in a direction that's proper. Baseball doesn't have a tanking issue. Yeah, there are some teams who are sellers. There are teams that aren't going to be in, in the wild card round. They're not going to be in the playoffs. So they need to figure that out. They need to get that straightened out on what matters to them, what's supposed to matter to these teams, and how are teams supposed to strive for greatness when they have the Dodgers and the Astros you know, way better than everyone else. Everyone's like, oh, we have as good a chance because we're going to win 86 games and make the playoffs anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really unfortunate situation and hopefully something that MLB can look at. I mean, I'm not sure what they can do, you know, cause that's a collectively bargained, you know, type of thing, but I hopefully that, you know, Theo Epstein and the the people who are looking at rule changes and, and things like that see that the you know more more games in the playoffs it will help the better teams and you want the best teams to be there. Yankees Dodgers World Series will blow the doors off of anything that the Phillies and the Astros are going to do, you know, this year. So, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just sad overall that, you know, my favorite television program is, you know, something that I was watching every single day is now off the air for you know, three, three and a half months. And, you know, yep. so and you're not even uh, excited for next season. <laughs> nope. And, now, and we, now, know. now I have to come on the podcast and talk about She-Hulk and, uh, and I don't, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do with my hands. It's, yeah. It, it's true. It's true. And, and man, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it anymore because it's, it's one of those situations that's tough. And it sounds like as New Yorkers, we're being market market people. Oh, New York is better than St. Louis. No, St. Louis could have been a great team this year too. If, um, if they made it, they would have been on the upper echelon, in my opinion of teams to, to make the world series. Cause they have some really electric players and great, great talent. So mm-hmm. it's not about market. It's about franchise. It's about the yep. team. And that's why uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh can be a staple in in the, in the NFL because the franchise has, has earned that right. Right. So no one's football. I get that, but baseball has to get something going um, in, in that regard. So I, I don't know what the hell is going to happen with that yeah. moving forward, but it does suck. It feels extra strenuous for baseball fans when their team goes out because of how much time you spend with football. You spend 17 games with a team. 17. Yeah, you do all the weekly stuff and you hear about injuries and blah, blah, blah. So I, I don't know. I don't know if they can figure that one out. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's, all right uh, yeah it's again it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to uh to talk baseball with you this year and uh hopefully we can we can uh, talk some marvel stuff during the off season so i'm not uh i don't go three months without being on the podcast but uh <laughs> if it's uh if it is you know it, thank you for thank you for coming along with me and coming along with us on this uh baseball season and uh look forward to talking to you guys uh talking to you and alec and everybody else uh and and you know talking to hot stove and hopefully in a, in a couple weeks so the lukewarm uh, stove tuned. yeah stay tuned everybody yeah and we have uh black panther wakanda forever in just a few weeks got a trailer for ant-man quantum and, and the wasp quantum mania got a trailer for gardens of the galaxy holiday special all right, maybe we're cooking I, back to a point of MCU where it's going to be a little more exciting. I, I'm I'm starting to feel the juice a little bit, Drew. Are you feeling the juice a little bit? I I didn't see the the holiday uh, trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy, but uh, Quantum Manium looked great. You know, obviously uh, Kang and uh, Jonathan Majors is you know that's that's super exciting. So uh, you know, uh, I'm not I'm not sure I'll be able to make it to the movie theater Wakanda Forever. My daughter will be like four days old when the movie comes out, so. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I'll be making it. I'll, I'll catch it on Disney plus though. So hype for that. Good business decision by you. Yeah. (laughs) All right, my friends, thank you for listening. Baseball season is over for us. And I got to say this last thing, five days between the CS and the world series disaster. Yeah, I know, know it's a scheduling thing. I know it's a scheduling thing and it's not really in their control. Holy. Both of those series are over, and now baseball fans are sitting on their thumbs Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for for the World Series to start. What are we doing? What are we doing? I, like I don't even care. I don't even know. I don't even know when it's happening. I, I do know when it's happening. It's on Friday, obviously. But like I don't care. I'm not mm. thinking about it. I have no interest in it because five days between the NLCS, ALCS, and the World Series. What, what's going on? What's going on? You gotta have the ability to pivot when, uh, when, when stuff oh, changes. And yeah. But who, who's run, who's running this? Who's running this scheduling? Is Aaron Boone running the scheduling? The inability <laughs> to pivot uh, when things come up. Like I don't understand. And I brought it full circle. Brought it full circle. There we go. Let's go. Right. We, we were supposed to finish at like forty minute mark. Here we are at almost an hour. So that's that's what we do on Subway Sports let's, Talk. Let's, let's, we always do it that way. Let's, let's yeah. keep it a tight fifteen. Hour and 20 minutes later. Here we are. <laughs> there you go. Andrew Kalanya at underscore Swarles Barkley. Good luck to you, my friend, with your moves and your children. Tell Jack we said hello. And hopefully, uh, hopefully by the time Jack's, you know, of age to start remembering a lot of these sports stuff, the Yankees figure something out. Yeah, I hope so too, my friend. <laughs> All right. Subway Sports Talk, talking basketball as well. Cheers. Take it easy.